a video version of this podcast is available at AboundingJoy.com and also on our YouTube pages. Hey, my name's Steve Hall, and I want to thank you for joining our Bible study today. Before we get into today's Bible study, I would like to invite you to come to check out our Standing Firm Bible Study class in person. We're at Fairview Baptist Tabernacle in Sweetwater, Tennessee. We meet in the downstairs fellowship hall of the auditorium building at 10.15 a.m. on Sunday mornings immediately after the 9 o'clock worship service. Here's a little map for you. See the little red lines? (laughs) Notice if you're in the auditorium, just follow those red arrows. If you're in the back, go straight down that hallway behind you to the stairwell. If you're near the front of the auditorium, you can go out the left door, and I mean left as you're sitting in the auditorium looking toward the pulpit and the choir. Go to your left, go out that door, all the way down to the end of the hall, keep to your left, all the way down to the stairwell, and then turn right and go down the stairwell. We meet in the fellowship hall around the tables near the kitchen downstairs. If you have trouble with stairs, there are men driving golf carts near the entrance to the auditorium building at the crossover there who will be glad to give you a ride to a door that enters the building on our level, so you won't have to do any steps at all. We're a co-educational class, men and women both invited. We're for all ages, doesn't matter how old or how young. Children and youth are certainly welcome, but some children and youth actually prefer to go to the children and youth classes, which meet at the same time we meet, more on their level. Dress, totally casual. Class members are certainly encouraged to participate in the Bible study, ask questions, engage in conversation. But listen, if you happen to be kind of shy, we promise we're not going to embarrass you. We're not going to ask you to read. We're not going to ask you to pray. We're not going to ask you any specific questions directed to you. It isn't unusual for class members who are kind of shy just to not say anything at all once class gets started. So that's your choice. So I'm just saying, please don't feel intimidated if you happen to be the shy type. I know sometimes the first meeting is kind of tough for the shy people. But there's never been a time when it's been more important for God's people to meet in small Bible study fellowship groups in order to encourage each other. We've got to stand firm in his truth. We've got to stand firm on his word. These are very confusing days we're living in. You know that. So we'd love for you to join us and just see for yourself what God's doing in our class. If you'd like more information, go to AboundingJoy.com. There's the web address right there on the screen. You can click on the Standing Firm Bible Class menu item when you get there. You may want to hit pause right now or do a screen save to get, make sure you get the spelling right, but you can learn more information about us there. Now, here's today's Bible study. I hope and pray it helps you grow stronger in our Lord Jesus Christ and in your knowledge of His Word and of His will for your life. Well, hey guys, thanks for joining me in Bible study again today. We're working our way through Romans chapter 6, and we've reached verse 5. So let's just read those first 11 verses again, get them back in our minds. And today we're going to focus on verses 5, 6, and 7. Romans chapter 6, verse 1. This is God's Word. What shall we say then? Are we to continue in sin that grace might increase? May it never be. How shall we who died to sin still live in it? Or do you not know that all of us who have been baptized into Christ Jesus have been baptized into his death? Therefore, we've been buried with him through baptism into death in order that as Christ was raised from the dead through the glory of the Father, so we too might walk in newness of life. 
For if we become united with him in the likeness of his death, certainly we shall be also in the likeness of his resurrection, knowing this, that our old self was crucified with him, that our body of sin might be done away with or rendered powerless, that we should no longer be slaves to sin, for he who has died is freed from sin. Now, if we've died with Christ, we believe that we shall also live with him, knowing that Christ, having been raised from the dead, is never to die again. Death no longer is master over him. For the death that he died, he died to sin once for all, but the life that he lives, he lives to God. Even so, consider yourselves to be dead to sin, but alive to God in Christ Jesus. This is God's word. And we're beginning to understand now how monstrously absurd it is to suggest that we might, as they asked Paul, continue in sin, that grace may increase. (laughs) No, 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 no. We've been baptized into the death of Christ Jesus, and we've been raised in the resurrection of Christ Jesus. We now live in a new realm. We've been taken out of the realm of slavery and darkness, and we've been placed into the realm of God's freedom and light. We've talked about all this. So verse 5 essentially repeats and summarizes what he's already said in verses 3 and 4. But in verse 5, he goes just a little further. You'll notice there are two parts to this verse. The first part is, for if we have become united with him in the likeness of his death. And Paul's going to elaborate on that in verses 6 and 7. The second part, certainly we shall also be in the likeness of his resurrection. And Paul's going to elaborate on that in verses 8, 9, and 10. You see his pattern? So he made a proposition back in verse 2. How shall we who died to sin still live in it? Then he establishes that proposition in verses 3 and 4. And then he restates his proposition in verse 5. If we become united with him in the likeness of his death, certainly we shall also be in the likeness of his resurrection. And he develops it in more detail in verses 6 through 10. And the primary thrust of this whole passage is this doctrine of our union with Christ. And remember, the purpose of the passage is to answer the objection they raised in verse 1. What shall we say then? Are we to continue in sin that grace might increase? So let's look at verse 5 and let's focus in on some of these key words. First, don't be misled by the word if in verse 5. If we become united with him in the likeness of his death. Someone might be tempted to take that as meaning, well, some of us who are Christians have become united with Christ in the likeness of his death, but some of us have not. That's not what he's saying. That's not the implication of this at all. In the Greek, the word that's translated if could just as well be translated since. And his argument is this. Since this first thing is true that I'm telling you, then certainly the second thing is true also. So if we agree with the first thing he says, he says certainly we'll agree with the second point. If we agree that we've died with him, certainly we'll agree that we will rise with him. So since is the best translation. Then look at that word united. We become united, united with him in the likeness of his death. United. It's a word that implies a growing together in an intimate union with Christ. It's a picture of our relationship to Jesus that reminds us of what Jesus said himself in John chapter 15. I'm the vine, he said. You're the branches. You've got to abide in me. He abides in me and I in him. He bears much fruit. Apart from me, you can do nothing. We are united with him like branches to a vine. 
He's the head. We're the body. We're united to him. And look at that word likeness in verse 5. If we become united with him in the likeness, the likeness of his death. What does that word likeness imply? Well, it reminds us that while it's true that we have literally and actually died with him. He's making that very clear. And we've literally and actually been raised with him. It happened to us because we are in him. It's reality for us, but for us, it's a spiritual reality. Of course, Jesus himself suffered and died physically, literally physically. In our case, our old man really has died literally, but it's a spiritual death. We died spiritually as Christ died physically. You see what I'm saying? What happened to him literally, physically, happened to us literally, spiritually. So our death is the likeness of his death. Our death's not identical to his death. So that's why he uses the word likeness. But please, one reason I'm emphasizing this, please don't make the mistake that some people do of assuming that when you use the word spiritual, it's kind of a synonym for maybe symbolic or figurative or something like that, metaphorical or something. No, the death of our old man is real. It's literal. It's not figurative. It's not symbolic, but it is spiritual. And there's a difference, of course, in spiritual and physical. But it's literal. There's one more thing we must not be confused about in verse 5, and that's the use of the words shall be. We certainly, we shall be also in the likeness of his resurrection. And when we see the words shall be, our mind immediately thinks about the fact that, well, that sounds like future tense. So we tend to want to make it mean, well, maybe someday in the future from now, we will be in the likeness of his resurrection. And it's true, it's only talking about here, but it's true that as far as our physical bodies are concerned, that certainly is true. The glorification of our physical bodies is in the future. We know that after Jesus comes back and we're raised, we'll be raised in glorified bodies. But that's not what Paul's talking about in this verse. That's not his point at all. He teaches that in other passages like 1 Corinthians 15. But here Paul's teaching us we live victoriously over sin now in this life not someday in the future. Shall be is just a way of stating his point very emphatically. It's future only in the sense that walking in newness of life comes after our death and burial with him. We die with him, we're buried with him, and we're raised with him in that order, just like he was, but it's already happened. Sort of like saying, if we've confessed our sins to him, certainly we shall be forgiven. It's not something that's going to happen someday. It's already happened. We didn't die with him and become buried with him just to stay in the grave, spiritually speaking. We're raised with him to walk in an entirely new way of life. So in verses 4 and 11, he emphasizes that this new resurrected life we're living is something that's happening right now. It's not something just for the future. You remember in verse 4, he said, we have been buried with him through baptism into death in order that as Christ was raised from the dead through the glory of the Father, so we too might walk in newness of life. That's right now. He's not talking about something that's going to happen in the future. Right now. Verse 11, he says, Consider yourselves to be dead to sin, but alive to God in Christ Jesus. That's right now in this life. He's not talking about something that's going to happen in the future. When we get to verse 6, we find Paul beginning to work out what he said in the first part of verse 5. Knowing this, that our old self was crucified with him, 
that our body of sin might be done away with, that we should no longer be slaves to sin. First of all, notice the word self here in verse 6. Normally, in almost all translations, it's translated man, not the old self, but the old man. The Greek word is anthropos. You've heard that word as in anthropology. It means man in the Greek. And again, the word crucified, it's a verb. And in the Greek, it's past tense completed action. It's something that happened in the past. We have been crucified. The old man was crucified in the past. He starts that verse with the words, knowing this. What, what's that mean? No, knowing this. Well, he's telling us that this is a fact we've got to know. We've got to know this. He doesn't say this is something we should seek to experience. He doesn't say this is an experience we should be remembering. He just says we need to know it. How do we know it? Because God tells us. That's how. So these truths that he's teaching us are truths that we need to be living in daily awareness of. If we do, if we know what he's saying here, it really does have the potential to revolutionize our lives. The right kind of knowledge changes not only our thinking, but our living. It's very powerful. We've got to know it. Now, what does he mean by the words, our old man? Our old man, our old self, the New Mexican Standard says, but old man is a better translation. We have to be careful about our terminology here, guys. So stay with me now. Try to, try to focus here a little bit because sometimes we will misuse these words. We do that a lot. <laughs> I mean, that's just kind of part of life. We misuse words. And sometimes it's kind of harmless. It's not a big deal. You know, everybody knows what we're talking about, even if we use the wrong terminology. But sometimes it can lead to some doctrinal confusion if we're not careful here. There are Christians who are desperately trying to kill the old man. In the past, men have tried to kill the old man by going to monasteries or by going to live in a cave or going to live on a mountaintop or something, you know, trying to get away from the world, trying to kill the old man. But we've already seen this. When God uses the term old man, he's referring to the man I used to be in Adam before I became a new man in Christ. What happened to that old man? That old man that once was me, what happened to him? Jesus took him to the cross to die with him. I'm no longer in Adam. I'm in Christ now. The old man is dead. The old man is crucified with Christ. Don't forget that, but listen very carefully. Here's where the confusion can come in our terminology. The old man is not the same thing as our what the Bible calls our flesh. The old man is not the same as our carnal, sinful nature. Paul's going to make that very clear here in Romans. So right now, we are at war with the flesh. And it's certainly true, we are to crucify the flesh. But we're not to crucify the old man we once were because he's already dead, you see. And now we've been raised again with Jesus as part of a new kind of man. It's a new race of mankind. And when you hear the word race, don't think of, you know, when we hear the word race, we think about Things like how much melanin does somebody have in their skin or something like that. From the Bible perspective, from God's perspective, we're all one race, right? One human race. We're all from descendants of Adam. So no, don't think of it that way. But there is a human race and there is another race, the race of those of us who are in Christ, brothers in Christ, his brothers. Romans chapter 8, verse 29, he said, our Lord Jesus Christ is the firstborn among many brethren. Remember that? 
firstborn among many brethren. We're part of a new kind of mankind, a new race. If any man be in Christ, he is a new creature. We're new creatures, a new race of mankind. The old man is dead. We're not commanded to crucify the old man. It's already happened. So God says, know this. He says, you need to know this. And the implication, of course, is that there are many Christians who are still acting as if they were still slaves to sin. They're not defeating sin. They're not defying Satan the way God intends for us to do. They don't know this. So it's profoundly important truth for all of us who want to walk in victory over sin. We have to know the truth. You remember what Billy Graham used to say all the time? God says it. I believe it. That settles it. And sometimes we shorten that to say, wait a minute. God says it. That settles it. (laughs) We just need to take God at his word. We need to believe God. When God said to Abraham, Abraham, your descendants are going to be like the stars. Abraham could have said, that doesn't make any sense to me. That's impossible. That's nonsense. (laughs) Instead, he just believed God. The Bible doesn't say he felt anything. There's no indication at all that he had any kind of emotional experience. I'm sure his emotions got involved in it. But what he had was the bare word of God, and he believed it. We have the word of God. God says we are new creatures. God says the old man is dead. Satan may say, no, that's not true. Our feelings may say, no, that can't be true. So we have to decide who we're going to believe. Satan? Our feelings? No. God said it. That settles it. (laughs) Right? Now, notice the word here in verse 6, that. Our old self was crucified with him, that. That our body of sin might be done away with. It means in order that. In other words, he's telling us the purpose of the death of our old man, that our body of sin might be done away with. And now let's focus on those words just a little bit done away with. There's a lot of confusion here, too. Our old self was crucified with him that our body of sin might be done away with. Done away with. Hmm. Some translations say destroyed there. Have you got a translation that says destroyed? But you remember me talking about the great pastor and Bible scholar Martin Lloyd-Jones, great man of God? He says, in this context, the best translation would be rendered powerless, rendered powerless. Every time I quote this verse, I change the words to rendered powerless because it makes sense in the context of this passage. He's not teaching us that it no longer exists. He's teaching us that it's been rendered powerless. Our body of sin, it still exists, but it's been rendered powerless. Now look at the phrase, our body of sin. Knowing this, our old self was crucified with him, that our body of sin, our body of sin might be rendered powerless. The body of sin is not a synonym for the old man. (laughs) Don't put those two together. That's not what he's saying. When Adam sinned, sin gained total mastery over Adam and over all of Adam's descendants, including us. We're born into sin. We're born slaves of sin. Sin dominates our body. Sin dominates our soul. Sin dominates our spirit. And in Adam, all of us are turned upside down. Our bodies, our physical drives control our old man. We're slaves to the enemy. When we come to Christ, the old man is crucified with him. But while God certainly does make us into new creatures, he chooses not yet to give us new bodies. His plan is for that to come later after the resurrection, after Jesus comes back. 
So this old body still has sin working in it. Now, why did God do that? Why did God allow it to be that way? Why did he choose this method? Well, there's a parallel to this in the Old Testament that may give us a clue. You remember when God brought the children of Israel out of slavery in Egypt? He, he gave them a land. He promised them a land. And, and he said, I'm going to give you this land. It's going to be an awesome land. And now you're going to be free. You're not going to be slaves anymore. But you remember, don't you? He didn't drive out all those enemies at one time. His people still had to struggle against enemies. Well, God created us with a need to struggle, to struggle against sin, to struggle against our spiritual enemies, Satan and his demons. There's something about the struggle that keeps us close to God. The struggle reminds us of how dependent we are on God, how desperately we need God. And God wants us to have that consciousness. So that struggle brings about that consciousness. He also uses that struggle to prepare us for eternity. He has an eternity for us, a plan in eternity for us that we are being prepared for through these struggles, these battles, these wars we're going through. So according to his plan, our bodies have not yet been delivered from the fall. We ourselves have, but our bodies haven't. And we're still living in these bodies. So we have to struggle. We struggle against sin as part of our preparation for eternity. But now, as new creatures, listen, this is important. We do not have to be controlled by our bodies with their drives, their desires, their lusts. We don't have to be controlled by that stuff anymore. We're not slaves to that anymore. People who don't know this will say, well, that's just who I am. Because as far as they're concerned, it is who they are. But God says, I want to make you into a new creature. It doesn't have to be who you are. You can have victory over that. That's what he's telling us in verse 6. Our body of sin has been rendered powerless through the power of the Holy Spirit working in us. We who are new creatures are able to conquer sin in the flesh. We're able to produce through the power of the Holy Spirit the fruit of the Spirit. Love, joy, peace, patience, gentleness, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, self-control, all that good fruit of the Holy Spirit. And so God intends for us to walk in greater and greater victory in this life, driving out the enemy until we finally will be brought into his glory. It's going to happen one of these days. It's as good as done. He concludes verse six by saying, knowing this, that our old self was crucified with him, that our body of sin might be done away with, that we should no longer be slaves to sin. The old man was certainly a slave to sin. The new man certainly been set free. So in verse 7, he says simply, For he who has died is freed from sin. He who has died is freed from sin. A dead man is no longer a slave to sin. <laughs> this is not a perfect illustration here. I realize there are some weaknesses here, but it may help make the point. Picture a man in your mind's eye who is enslaved to lust. He's addicted to pornography, and it's just feel, he feels like that's just who he is. He's addicted to this stuff as, who, as he just, as he's driven by these lusts. Uh, and now, now, kill him. Prop him up against the wall. And you can have a whole bevy of porn stars pass right in front of him and wink at him and flirt with him. He won't bat an eye. <laughs> His heart rate won't go up. He's dead to that stuff, you see? Or picture a man totally addicted to cigarettes and kill him. Prop him up against the wall. Now you can blow cigarette smoke in his face all day long. It won't bother him a bit. He's dead. Now, it's not a complete perfect analogy, but you get the idea. We Christians need to know who we are. The old man we once were, that old man who was once a slave to sin, that old man who was once driven and pulled by lust and desires and habits, that man's dead. He's crucified with Christ. 
We're new creatures. We're new men. We've been set free. We're no longer slaves. And we need to verbally thank God for that over and over and over and over and keep it in our minds and know it. That's what he's commanding us here. And we need to remind Satan he's a liar when he tries to tell us, hey, you're still a slave to sin. You can't overcome this. You're too weak for this. We need to believe God. So, Father, help us to believe you. Thank you so much for putting this truth in your word. Lord, we know that Romans chapter 6 is very difficult for some of us because it kind of goes against our our flesh. It goes against the way we've learned to think sometimes. So, uh, Lord, help us to think your way. Help us to think biblically. Help us to internalize your truth and realize to the depth of our being that we can trust you. You're God. You speak truth. And help us to believe you when you tell us, We are dead to sin. We've been crucified with Christ. We've been raised to walk in newness of life. And Lord, help us to to live like that, to know these things so well that when Satan tries to convince us that we're defeated, that when our emotions pull us down, that we can know beyond a doubt that the old man is dead, that we're new creatures in Christ Jesus and live like it. Thank you that we have victory over sin now. We have victory over Satan and the devil. We don't have to be defeated anymore. We're not slaves anymore, all because of Jesus. So thank you, Father, for causing Jesus to come to this earth, to die on that cross for our sins, to rise again from the dead, to prove that he'd conquered death and hell. And Lord, thank you for giving us all the incredible evidence you've given us so that when Satan puts doubts in our minds, we can look at the evidence and look at the truth and look at your word and know for sure that you have an incredible plan that you've put in place here and we get to be a part of it. And that's thrilling and exciting. And we give you all praise and all glory for it. In Jesus' name, amen.